Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind our beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and with me is Kieran Maguire. Hello Kevin. Hello. Uh, this is an exciting time, isn't it? Oh yes, a new, a new brand a, of show. A new brand of show because uh, we're expanding because we simply aren't able to fit all your questions into our normal Thursday pod, which is what we'll be calling it from now on, the normal Thursday pod on which uh, Kieran gives us his analysis and insight into football finance matters. Um, uh, but on Monday, we'll be giving you an extra little treat, slightly shorter, but just your, just your question. So we're democratising the whole thing. So is this the, the abnormal Monday pod? This is the abnormal Monday right, pod, okay. yeah. Let, let's not get into that, because we'll be... Also, because we're recording some days before they're actually going out, so this is a confusing enough time of year anyway with the amount of alcohol you're allowed to drink at 10 o'clock in the morning without getting into what day of the week it is <laughs> but it's a, we, we, we know it's a Monday yep. let's just say that So we, and we know it's a question um, so all these questions are from, uh, are from listeners we'll crack on this is one from uh, his, his Twitter name is Baffle and Wallocks but I presume you probably should be pronouncing that Baffle and Wallocks um, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting one it's about Manuel Pellegrini and it it's kind of strange in a way because it's almost defending the owners of West Ham. But he, he makes the point that maybe some clubs would suggest a transfer window for managers where you get twice a year, you're able to move managers on. Because whatever you think about Sullivan and Gold, they did back Pellegrini. They, they gave him a lot of money to spend and it wasn't successful. And yet, guess it's going to cost them a lot of money to get rid of him when perhaps... You should be able to say every now and again, and everyone would agree, you haven't done a very good job. Time for you to move on. We'll get another manager and it won't cost us any money. That's that's certainly an interesting mm-hmm. viewpoint. I, I think uh, Pellegrini's got 18 months outstanding on his contract. So realistically, you're probably looking at, what, £12 million payoff. Now, it could be that if he finds himself another job within 12 months, some of that will be uh, given back to West Ham. That this has been mooted before because yeah we're 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 still in December we've already lost thirty percent of the managers in the Premier League yeah. um the the average tenure of management in the Championship is now down to fourteen months and in no other line of business would you get rid of people so quickly um is 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 changing the manager a merely a form of deflection from the club owners themselves because if you are seen to be doing something as the club owner, then yeah. you're listening to the fans when, if you take a look at it from a statistical analysis, the there is no benefit in changing managers. Now, people will say, well, hold on, you know, look look what happened since, to Watford since Nigel Pearson's been yeah. in. Look what's happened to Everton in, in the case of Carlo Ancelotti and, and Big Duncan and so on. And those are the ones which have worked. But then, well, so far. So yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Um, Huddersfield changed their manager. Yeah, halfway through last season, Fulham, and, yeah, lots, yeah, and, and Fulham got through three or four, yeah. and, and it made no difference. So for every success story, and and sometimes it it is simply a a man management issue. Um, sometimes it's a bit of luck that you've you've got actually a set of fixtures that come up which are quite winnable. Um, so if you if you look at Everton, uh, you know Burnley at home, Newcastle away. Those those are matches where you think you've you've got a potential chance and and uh, you know f- fair play to Everton they they've delivered in terms of results there so so that's that's where we are um, could it work I think it unlikely because club owners would see it as a restriction of their ability to hire and fire as they yeah, see fit yeah. um, also if I, if I was uh, a manager um, you, you know that 
you've not got a very long lifespan in all probability. And now if, if the club was allowed to get rid of the manager without any compensation, um, that would mean that there'll be a lot of people going unpaid for long periods of time. Yeah. Apologies if you're not listening to this in December. It is still December when we record it. It could be March by the time you listen to it. Who knows? There will be anomalies as we get used to this new system. Uh, the next question is from me, which doesn't imply we haven't had hundreds of questions. We have. But it's it's a follow-up to a story that we described as a good news story. But unfortunately, the Colin Weir, the guy who won the Euro Millions Lottery and became the owner of Partick Thistle, then put loads of money into Partick Thistle, has sadly died over the Christmas period. It, just, I think, Partick Thistle fans would like to know whether that's going to affect his very generous donations to the club. Well, my understanding, and I've not managed to get fully into the, the intricacies of this, was that, that Colin Weir had organised his uh, bequeathments, his donations to, to Partick Thistle in such a way that after a short period of time, those shares which he owned were going to be passed across to the Supporters' right. Trust. Now, it, I'm assuming here that upon the sad news of his death, that will be accelerated, that will be in his will and testament, and therefore that will simply happened to the club so uh, Partick Thistle they, they, they've had a bit of a struggle uh, financially and, until Colin Weir because he, he'd had he was wavering um, but then he made this final decision um, I, I think they should now be secure in terms of their finances I think from his point of view it, you know, I know it's, it's, it's a cliche it, it's what he would have wanted that yeah. he would want the club to to uh, carry on and be able to survive and thrive um, you know, when he's no longer here to support them himself yeah. Uh, no, Tom Fogg has asked us a question. Um, it's an interesting one in terms of the stuff with Amazon. But basically, have we reached a plateau on broadcasting rights? How will this affect clubs? And will the Premier League, individual clubs, UEFA, etc., start looking at more internet streaming? Uh, so are we heading to a situation where clubs are negotiating their own broadcasting rights separately to the Premier League? Um, have we reached a plateau? Yes, I think we have. You've only got to look at the, the new deal which is coming in next season. The domestic rights, they are actually worth 10% less than they were for 2017 yeah. to 2020. That has been more than made up for by the increased sales of, of overseas rights. Um, do clubs want to negotiate for themselves? Well, there are half a dozen clubs that are desperate to do that. I think historically they've accepted that part of the global appeal of the Premier League is that you can get clubs such as Norwich beating Manchester City, such as uh, you know the clubs that we support, going into a match, going into a match day against the Big Six and feeling that we have a chance. It's not necessarily a big chance, but we've got a chance of victory. Um, and, and that degree of uncertainty has actually helped the Premier League to to grow as a product uh, globally over the course of the last 20 years. That, that half a dozen clubs, are we talking about the usual suspects, the, the traditional top six? Absolutely. Right, okay. And, and I think what they are concerned about, they've. if you think about those clubs, first of all, they get more money from the Premier League, from TV money, because it's tiered towards the, the final positions. They also, of course, almost exclusively get all of the UEFA Champions League and Europa League money. So they, they've got a huge financial advantage. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there, Kim, because that's one of the subjects we're going to be talking about on the next Thursday pod, which is the Thursday coming up. Um, this is a question from John Needham. I don't really understand it, but it sounds like a grown-up question, so I thought we should answer it, because this is the sort of thing we should be doing 
on this pod. Now, he's talking about a, a drag-along arrangement, which is basically the question is, how common is it to stop fans buying shares in clubs? Um, and I, I understand this is a practice which means that when a, somebody shares, sells their major shareholding, everyone else has to... You explain it, because I'm, I'm confusing myself. It's bad enough not knowing which day of the week it is, Professor, without <laughs> prof. What, what happens um, quite often is that if, if you've got a majority owner, so let's say we've got somebody that owns 60 or 70% of the shares in a club, he wants to sell out to, to new owners. What they will try to do is to make all of the smaller shareholders agree to the sale as well so that everybody sells. Now, that sometimes works. It sometimes doesn't work. The advantage of being a shareholder, and, and it's, it's a very small one because you're never going to get any money from this. If you talk to, to Charlton fans, yeah, many of them have got half a dozen shares yeah, yeah. in the club, and it looks like de Chachelet is finally selling out to new owners. Um, if you talk to, to Rangers fans, they've yeah, many Rangers fans have got shares in the club, which they've effectively been diluted because what, what club owners are doing is that they're taking their loans and they're saying, right, we're not going to ask for our money back, but we are going to convert them into shares. So therefore, if you go and double the number of shares, if, if we as a fans, let's say that we're a fans association and we did own 6% of the club, if they go and double the number of shares and they all go from the, the old owners, yeah. then we go down to 3%. Yeah. So, so our voice can be diluted. So I, I, from, a, from a supporter's club point of view, it's difficult to stop the owners doing this because once you go beyond certain thresholds, there's a 75% threshold and there's a 90% threshold in terms of what the, the big owners own, then effectively they can do what they want. Um, so, so you are being patronised a lot of the time as, as, a, as a minority shareholder. As, as you know, I'm, I'm Joe Bloggs. I've got 10 shares in my local club. You still will have those 10 shares unless the owners end up owning more than 90% and then they can go to you and say, we're buying you out whether you like it or not. It, it, it comes back to the conversation we had on our last pod, essentially, about billionaires and, and Stoke. Because I presume a lot of these people work on the basis that the very minority shareholders are people that are just happy to have a share certificate in their toilet or whatever and, and part of the club. And they assume they will have no business acumen. Or, or if they did, they'd be billionaires like them, presumably. That's right. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is what happened at Manchester United. When the Glazers took over United, once they got beyond 90%, they said, that's it. That's it. We, we are buying you, you out, whether, and we will pay you for your shares, whether you like it or not. So, well, who sets, so what would the share price be then? What price are they, what are they offering them a price for their shares? Yes. And what, do they what, have to take that price? What, what they would have to do is they would have to offer them the same price that they'd used to buy out the, the other larger shareholders. So if we look at what happened with the Glazers, they got all of the, the, you know, the hedge funds, the insurance companies that owned Manchester United at the time. Let's say that they, that was 270 pence per share. They then went to you know, Joe Bloggs, been at the Stratford end. I'm, I'm from Trafford. Yeah. I've got 10 shares in the club. As you say, share certificate on certificate, share certificate in my toilet. And there you are. We're going we're to give you the same amount, which which isn't the compensation because it is our club. Yes. They oh. are just the custodians. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Um, this is a, this is a very good question from Fraser McIntosh because it articulates something that I'm still really cross about, and, and I think a lot of fans still haven't fully realised that the, the World Cup in Qatar, which shouldn't be happening full stop, is happening during the winter. Now, Fraser's question is: Will that affect the finances? Will that affect the amount of money that FIFA makes from the World Cup? Will it affect broadcasting rights because it's happening in the dark days of of December rather than the sunny months of June and July? It, it won't affect FIFA in terms of selling the rights because, as we've seen with uh, what, what's happened with Amazon recently, uh, people will watch football. I think, actually, it will hit individual clubs because what we're now seeing, it's very, very lucrative to have pre-season tours and things of this nature. Well, they're going to have to go because we've got, effectively, you're going to have to concertina the the. The, the season for the, the big five leagues in Europe and so on, they're going to have to have realistically, what, four weeks, six weeks potentially of not having any domestic fixtures. So therefore, if you are Manchester United, normally mid, you know, sort of end of June and July, you go to the US, you go to Australia, mm. you go to Malaysia, you go to China, you go to go to the Middle East, and it's very lucrative for these clubs. What's going to happen in the season of the World Cup is that the domestic seasons are going to have to start earlier and they're going to finish later, which means that the players who do deserve some rest, you know, we appreciate that players are well remunerated, everybody deserves some rest. Um, therefore, I think that's going, to how, that's going to impact upon the clubs. Where it could be an opportunity is that if we're not seeing any Premier League games and Championship games for four to six weeks during the middle of winter, could this be this be an opportunity for, well, actually, I'm going to watch my local non-league yeah, team, yeah, I'm, going yeah, to watch my league, yeah. I'm going to pop down and watch some League One and League Two football. So there could be, indirectly, some winners from the people, the little people who we actually really like. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, the players are going to need... More rest, I imagine, because you you talk to anybody who was at the World Athletics Championships out there, and they just said it's just it's going to break them. Even even though the temperatures are slightly lower in winter, they're going to need a lot. If if you get to the the later stages of that World Cup, players are going to be that's for another pod. Um, now this is a question from Catherine Gale, who's head of the Millwall Supporters Club. Hello, Catherine. Thanks for your question. Um, Again, this is a question we've touched on, but we never fully answered it. And it's about financial fair play again. We can't go through a pod without mentioning financial fair play. Our old friend, we probably owe it a drink, don't we? Um, but is there is there an agreed tariff for FFP violations and for other fines? Because at the moment, it just seems to be random, basically. There, there is an agreed tariff, sort of. So it, that depends on the amount of your losses. So it's a sliding scale of points deductions based on the number of millions of pounds by which you exceed the FFP limit. So that's, that's the bit which we all understand. Then if you, if you read the, the Birmingham City uh, adjudication panel report... I haven't quite got around to it yet. I did get it for Christmas, but I'll, it's not on the top of my list, but... I've got Rick Stein's French cooking to get through first, oh, but then, then I'll breathe the Birmingham City. Just get, get, get around. 
funnily enough, you, it comes no great surprise to you that I, that I have read it cover, cover to cover. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, what what we are seeing is that the the panel say in agreed in in in, a, in addition to the agreed tariff, we have what we refer to as aggravating factors and mitigating factors, yes. and therefore. Birmingham City, I think they, pay, they they suffered an extra two points for certain aspects of trying to um, not be particularly straight with the EFL with regards to the signing of this lad Pedersen. But they also got one point deducted from the points deduction because they reported themselves to the EFL yeah, by yeah, saying, we yeah, think... We'd talk, yeah. so, so I think in terms of what's happening with Sheffield Wednesday is that the fear that uh, the EFL do seem pretty angry with Sheffield Wednesday with regards to some of the aspects of the stadium sale, and they are pushing for the maximum points deduction, which is 21, Ooh. is my understanding, right. because they feel that, that Wednesday haven't been uh, particularly straight with them. Wednesday are fighting back. Wednesday are saying that all of this is illegal, and, and they're going to counter sue, and the, the only winners are going to be... Silverhead, lawyers, and the essential losers eventually will be the fans, obviously. Yeah. And, and talking of which, uh, angry Macclesfield fans listening to this, don't worry, we'll be dealing with you separately in our next pod because it's probably too big a uh, subject to deal with just off the back of a question. Um, two more questions to go. Dean Gallagher, uh, it's a very interesting one, unless you are one of the current bottom 10 Premier League clubs, but he, he, watch, he wants your opinion of which of the current bottom Premier League clubs, say the second, yeah, the bottom half, who would suffer most from relegation? Um, I, I think Villa would suffer. Villa have spent an absolute fortune on recruiting players. There are, there are whispers, there are, there are issues to do with Villa and financial fair play. Um, Villa did sell the stadium to themselves a couple of years ago. Yeah, they seem to, that seems to have gone under, you mentioned that before on a pod and I didn't really take it in again, but it, that seems to have gone under the radar a little bit, the fact that a club the size of Villa, was this when they were in the championship, presumably? That was, that was in, in the championship, that's when the new owners came in. Right. They rescued the club from uh, Tony G. Um, he, he, he took the club to the brink of oblivion. I think people uh, underestimate just how close Villa were to going out of business. You, you, sorry to interrupt, but you make that sound as though he did that deliberately when you say he took the club. Well, if if you are if you are running a big business and the way that you are keeping it running is by getting a plane from Hong Kong stuffed with suitcases full of money to pay the wages, okay, then I think you are running a business in a way which is not what I would call uh, professional or appropriate. That he would have passed the fit and proper persons test, I Absolutely. presume. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. So Villa is your answer to that question. I'm sorry about that, Villa fans. Um, the last question comes from Nick Frost, presumably not that one. Um, as we are ending a decade and going into a new one, which would happen if you end, an, if you end one. Uh, although, who knows, with the way these pods are timed, which, de- which decade it is, I don't know. I'm glad to be rid of the last decade. It wasn't a good one for a lot of people in this house, actually. Um his question is basically for the new decade. What what do you think when we're doing this pod again in ten years' time, which we will be live via hologram to millions of people? <laughs> what's the biggest change to football? Do you think in the next decade? Now I'm going to answer first because and people who know me will know what the answer to this is. So I'm going to predict what I always predict is that there will be a Premier League two. As I think inevitably, we we've talked often on this pod about the Championship and what a basket case it is and how desperate people are to get out of it. I think inevitably clubs the size of Derby, Forest, 
palace essentially because we will go down probably Brighton will go down eventually the financial ramifications will become too much for those medium-sized clubs and they will find a way of, of making themselves still be in the press so they'll be Premier League 1 Premier League 2 and I think the rest of football will go regional it'll go back to the old days because I think financially that would help a lot of clubs at the lower end as well that Plymouth don't have to go to Carlisle and, and vice versa so that's that's my prediction feel free to contradict it and give us your own prediction I don't think there will be a Premier League 2. No. I'm not even <laughs> convinced there will be a Premier League 1 as we see it at present. Oh, okay. Um, we, we are seeing um, the the top table of European football. Uh, I think we're going to deal with this in a later pod. We are, yes. Um, I think we're going to see them become closer and closer. Um, I anticipate a smaller Premier League. And as far as what we see as the Championship is concerned... Um, I'm not sure who's prepared to pay for those rights. Right. So, okay. therefore, I, I think they will have something similar to what they have at present. It could be that we'll see far more streaming in-house, uh, so that could be good for clubs. Oh. Um, and I think the other thing which, which concerns me will be um, an ongoing war between UEFA and FIFA. FIFA wants to expand the Club World Cup from its present seven teams to 20 or 30 and if they're going to do that, how are you going to fit in all the fixtures? The only way you can do that is with a smaller Premier League. Well, this is the final question of this decade for me to you. And I'm hoping the answer is going to be optimistic, but I suspect it's not. Um, of the 91 clubs that are currently making up the Premier League and the Football League, in a decade's time, do you think there will still be 91 clubs? These 91 clubs? Um, I, I think we will still have four or five divisions it, it could be that we that the national league gets more embedded into the efl football is very resilient um if you compare it to other industries which have suffered from disruption and shock over the course of the last 20 or 20 or 30 years the rise of the internet and so on football has carried on um and, and i think the reason why it will carry on in some form some form similar to what we're used to at present, is because ultimately it does represent the communities and the cities and the towns of which we are so proud to belong. Well, that is a very optimistic, upbeat note to finish. So thank you for listening to our first ever questions pod. Um, every Monday from now on, it's your it's your chance to ask your own questions via questions at priceoffootball.com or just listen to the questions that many other people are sending in. And The Price of Football is a dip production, as ever. I'll beg for you to leave a review on whatever platform you want to because that's what Guy, the producer, always puts in block capitals on his notes that he sends to me because it's important. Um, in the meantime, if whatever time you listen to this, enjoy the rest of your Christmas. Have a happy New Year. Happy Easter. Enjoy the summer holidays. That was a good start to the football season, wasn't it? See you soon. The price of football. Cheerio. I'm for the